Hey, Fist Pigs, welcome to the Trans Lobby Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Jen, and today we're going to be talking about the TV series Pose. Well, we're just going to be talking about the pilot episode because there are four seasons of that show, and frankly, we weren't going to do that much of it. You didn't tell me that. I watched all of it. (laughs) I watched all of it. I stayed up all night, Pete, watching every single episode. Well, that's some Patreon content right there in the back pocket. I didn't really. Um, I did. I did watch the episode that we were supposed to watch. I would hope you did. <laughs> I've seen it before, but I've watched it again. So we I get hope, into it. Hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it also. <laughs> <laughs> what was I supposed to say that? So hi, P. How's it going? It's I'm not too bad. How are you, Jen? How's your week? It's been all right. How's how is it in Ireland at the moment where you live? It just docks to you. <laughs> if they Ireland, don't know, if they can't Ireland. figure that out, then they don't deserve to listen to this podcast. I've been disguising my voice so well. Ireland, where I live, is, I would say, broadly fine at the moment. Good weather, horrible centrist politics. I went to the National Art Gallery the other day for a little mosey, though. I'm trying to do the artist's way at the moment, and part of it is to, quote-unquote, take yourself on a date. So I went to the National Gallery. What are you talking about? What's the artist's way? What is that? The artist's way is basically a self-help book for artists and developing better practice. But there are these little things like you have to write morning pages, like just write three pages freehand every morning about anything. But you have to write it like you can't type it, which really fucks me off, because, as you know, I have terrible I have the handwriting of a greedy child and it really makes my hand cramp. So mm. by the end. If I'm just writing off the top of my head, it's just like I cannot wait for these pages to be over. My hand really fucking hurts. Well, I have carpal tunnel syndrome, so I'm already thinking like, fuck that, you know? Well, you can probably get like a an actual doctor's exemption for the artist's way. And but then for I'm, me, I'm not I have allowed to, to type it. Yeah, you're allowed to type it and you still get to take yourself on a fun little artistic date. The art, but are writers artists, though? I don't think so. You know, scum. I'll identify however I choose to identify. That's fair. But in relation to this podcast, going around the National Gallery, I have to say, every woman depicted in a Renaissance painting looks motherfucking trans. And I don't know if it's just because the majority of those artists, and I don't think this is conjecture, I don't think it'll get us cancelled, were gay. So they were essentially just like, had dick on the mind constantly but if you look at any renaissance painting they look trans again in what ways do they like like they put a dick on them not quite that extent like they've 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 had their gender confirmation surgery but they're kind of we're getting like kind of early budding breast development we're getting quite prominent draw lines and brow bones and these women are striking and beautiful in their own way. Don't get me wrong and don't cancel me. But I just thought it was interesting. Well, maybe they were painting the mysterious uh, hermaphroditic vision of, uh, I don't know. Isn't that something art Isn't that something that people say? Something about hermaphro- hermaphrodism in art? I feel like you were like halfway through a somewhat credible artistic sentence and yeah. then you just decided to give up on yourself. It would hang in a gallery as an unfinished sentence. But you know what else I did on my little artist date is I took myself to see In the Heights, 
which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. But you know what that film is? Is set in New York City and full of a cast of people of color, much like the show we're discussing today, Pose. I was just going to say, on that note, we should probably address the albino elephant in the room in that you and I are both really fucking white. Um, you're right. This is a this is a program um, that is about uh, the sort of black ballroom scene, right? Is that is that what it's called? Yeah. And I thought just in all seriousness, I should probably give our listeners a very quick briefing on what ballroom culture is because it's the setting for this show and we'll be referring to it in quite an offhanded way. And obviously you and I only have a tourist's eye view of it anyway. So I got some info off a little site called Wikipedia, if I may give you a history lesson. Jen. Well, shall we, shall we call this segment um, Trans White Girl uh, Explains? To paraphrase Wikipedia, ballroom culture describes a young African-American and Latin American underground LGBTQ plus subculture that originated in New York City in which people walk, i.e. compete, for trophies, prizes, and glory at events known as balls. Ball culture consists of events that mix performance, dance, lip-syncing, and modeling. Generally, the participants belong to houses which they represent in, comp in competition. Houses serve as alternative families, primarily consisting of Black and Latino LGBTQ plus individuals and are meant to provide shelter, solace and safety for those who have often been kicked out of their original homes due to being queer. It's possibly most famously documented in the 1990 movie Paris is Burning, which we may well cover on the podcast one day, but today we're talking about the pilot episode of Pose. Is that, are you finished? Yeah, well, I, that's as comprehensive as I'm willing to get. Thank God. I was scared for a minute you were going to start reading the whole Wikipedia article. <laughs> I think you stopped <laughs> in a good place. Um, I think it's very presumptuous of you to assume that I have no knowledge of ball culture. Like, when I was going to secondary school or boys' school in Kent, um, actually, <laughs> at break time, we would all <laughs> sashay around and start foguing. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was but it was the top all boys school in Kent to offer um voguing. That's interesting because my school my school also had a ball culture. Hey, a rugby ball oh, culture. Look at you. Any anyone from Blackrock College listening? Ra ra rock, etc. My my school also had a, a ball culture. Uh kick you in the balls culture. Am I right? Did your school did your school have sack tapping? No, that just sounds that sounds horrible. What's that? Well, it was a trend, a sort of like homoerotic violent trend where you'd just go around, be walking down the corridor, and you'd flick your wrist out, and as you flicked it, like tap the other person in the scrotum, causing pain. Obviously, it was very painful. I don't know why, like I guess it was one of those things that because it was somewhat uh, subtle as a, a physical movement and in order to ban it, they would have to say the word sack tapping out loud or at least issue some sort of like statement to parents where they refer to like the dick and balls. 
And I don't think my school were up to the challenge of that. But yeah, sack tapping was huge. I'd love to know. Did you have pocketing in your school? What's that? Tell me what that is. So this is a little more, it's not wholesome. It's a little less violent, I suppose. But you know the way on a schoolboy shirt, there's like a little pocket on the chest where you'd, Mm -hmm. I guess, put in a pen. So you just walk up to someone and put your hand in that and just put your hand in that and just rip the pocket off. Pocketing. Yeah, people did do that, but it didn't have a name. It didn't have like a um, an established name. Pocketing was huge in my school. Like it, it, there was a that that did eventually become banned. There was a time when just the sort of the uh, the playground was littered with pockets, and it's it's such a, a touchstone for uh, South Dublin boys' schools and possibly just Dublin boys' schools in general. That if you ever see the film Handsome Devil, it's uh it's observed in that. I'll tell you what my school had. I had a thing called Peanut. Um, I don't know if you have peanutting. No, we didn't have peanutting because our ties had stripes on them. If your oh, ti- I've heard of this. If Go your on. tie had enough stripes to spell out peanut, which is like five, right? Then they would just aggressively pull your tie and sort of like put a big knot in it that was almost impossible to take off. Um, it would enc- it was to encourage the wearing of ridiculously small ties with no sort of line in it, which became really popular for some reason. People wearing like obscenely small ties, the one almost like bow ties. Oh yeah, but, that was yeah. a big thing for particularly for like like jock types. It was to get like a big chunky, thick, like just square essentially hey, Pete, around your neck. Can I ask you this? Did you have this at your school? Because we had this at my school. Did you have um, getting mercilessly abused every day yeah i mean our school will tell you that it in line with its catholic ethos there was a zero tolerance policy for bullying but that just meant that bullies got more creative and passive aggressive i tell you like (laughs) i uh, bet we were a pair of real studs when we were teenagers jen they feared me i would you know i would go up and down the halls (laughs) i'd push people into lockers uh i'd say hey kid <laughs> hey kid did they call you did they call you horrible ives in reference they, to the porridge character because kids in the mid to late noughties love nothing more than referencing classic bbc sitcoms in their nicknames they they would they would call me horrible ives from porridge <laughs> and, and uh, it was funny. you loved porridge as well you were always going around eating some instant oats I would, I would. My favourite teacher was uh, Mr. Fletcher. We go Fletcher from Porridge. Do you remember that? No, no, that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, so we are two white people talking about Pose. But you know what? It's an FX show, and uh, wasn't it made by that guy that made um, American Horror Story? Anyway, so it is a Ryan Murphy joint, yeah, so... and it has all the har- hallmarks of a Ryan Murphy vehicle. It is sickeningly earnest it is all about community it is on the surface level something that uh should be outrageous but in actuality you know uh, a middle englander of 90 could watch it and find it appealing but listen i think i am qualified to talk about it because i have seen paris is burning and i saw it way before this came out and uh, so i was already aware of ballroom culture uh, a bit. Of course you were, and I think I think the show kind of assumes that the viewer has a certain awareness of ballroom culture because I thought it was quite interesting that they don't explicitly say any of the characters are trans until about twenty minutes in when um, 
when Electra is reading Blanca to Phil. She does read it to Phil, how, to be fair. She says how she can pass better than her. That's during the scene that was used for all the promo at the time and during every awards show where she really overacts the fuck of it, out of it, pushes over a coffee table and says, I do not give you my blessing. <laughs> also, while we're talking about Dominique Jackson, here's a question. Bad actress or just affecting a kind of a mid-Atlantic accent so i am gonna say that she is not a bad actress i think she's a really good actress i think she's a, a an imposing presence on the screen oh, incredible presence but what i would say is i would say that especially in this pilot episode and i can't i think it might ease off a little bit later but i think that she puts emphasis on some words in a line that that don't benefit from that emphasis is that her natural speaking voice no no she doesn't talk like that in in like she doesn't um like shout everything <laughs> in this she's like playing like a real sort of a cow and she? she's a right cow <laughs> she's <laughs> but, a real um, ice queen but i think it's interesting that you describe her as a presence because she is a physical presence and i feel like that's the core reason she was cast in that role Similarly, India Moore as Angel, who is just this sort of otherworldly beautiful woman. And, but it was interesting. Beautiful. It was interesting thing to me that I think there's a slightly worrying trend in Hollywood that Hollywood is more interesting of taking supermodels who are already famous and trying to turn them into actors rather than finding properly trained transgender actresses and. I get you what know, you're saying, allowing them. but I feel like at this point, like where we are, like I feel like, like the thing that I really love about Pose, honestly, and, and like, I know we're going to be a bit sniffy about it and stuff, but one of the things that I, I do like about it a lot is that it is just unapologetically sort of like trans, like it has trans people in it. And like you said, it doesn't. Oh, 100%. And um, I think every, I, like, for example, um, the woman who played, uh, what's her name? Sorry. India. India Moore playing Angel. I was going to say India Willoughby, uh, but that's not who I meant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Angel, like, like she's not a bad actor. She's really, really good. I oh, think. she's wonderful. She's wonderful. I wasn't so much talking about her. I mean, like, there's a trend outside of this show, even when you see people like Harry Neff and Hunter Schaefer. Again, both of whom I think are really talented, but I just think it's... Uh, there, there is a certain trend you there. you would and rather it be in a... it. That's what you're saying. You would rather be in it. Look... I'm available. That's all I am saying. I am available. But when you say it's unapologetically trans, I think it's really interesting that it's not until 30 minutes into the show that we get a proper conversation around someone directly saying they're trans where uh, Blanca has taken Damon to a diner and she's telling him, look, I've done the hormones. I've learned how to carry myself. I more or less get by. And I just think it's interesting that it it is so trans on its own terms like it's i think it's one of the very few pieces of media film or tv show that shows trans people being joyful on any terms i think it's certainly one of the few places where you see trans people fucking for joy yeah definitely more. that's what makes it stand apart from something like um transparent which is good in its own way but like it's it gets a bit bleak in places um i do have a quick like there is something that confuses me about this show a little bit though to be honest especially this pilot episode right which is that i can never tell whether because i 
personally, I think everybody, for example, in this episode, everybody in that main group, like the main house at the beginning, um, they're all like just ridiculously beautiful, I think. And, 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 you know, the house of abundance, the house of abundance, I think they're all beautiful. And I think they all, uh, in my opinion, pass really well. Um, and I think that I get confused sometimes in this show because you see them interacting with members of the public and I'm not sure if they're supposed to know that they're trans or not because it's almost implied that they, that they, sometimes it's implied that people do know they're trans and sometimes it's implied that people don't know they're trans. And yeah, I 100%. Just, yeah, and I just struggle to know what scene is what with that. Like, for example, like when they're in the museum, like, I don't know if the security guard is like, oh, like, <laughs> look at these all these trans people. Like, for example, when um, Angel goes to apply for that job and they're just like, no, there's no job. And then she's like, is I think that like, the to do with race there... more or is that to exactly, do Exactly, with... yeah. I was wondering that too when Rachel, well, pardon me, when Angel goes to Trump Tower, which we'll get into later, to apply for a job and she's turned away uh, at sight. I was wondering if that had to do with her gender or her race. And I do I think, think there is this. I think there's this interesting thing throughout the show, though, because there are times, not in this episode, but there are times when some of the characters are outright misgendered or uh, encounter uh, transphobia. And with this cast, it's like you say, every member of this cast passes 100%. So it doesn't really translate to scream 100% of the time, but I would prefer that they cast trans performers and have that slight problem in communication than cast, you know, yeah. look, I mean, I performers in, in place to make that clearer. I wasn't around in the 80s. Uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually quite young. <laughs> um, but I... I know that it obviously was possible to pass well back then if you had enough hormones and, you know, enough money and things like that. Um, but at the same time, the the truth is I would imagine that the majority of trans people were waiting a long time and struggling. And it's just one of those things where in this it's, it's hard for me, maybe as a trans person, to get 100% on board with that idea that, like, all of these, like, really, to my mind, like, really beautiful trans women are just, like, sort of like for example like blanca like i think blanca looks incredible and i think blanca like passes like ridiculously well beautiful yeah and then there's scenes where like blanca is literally being called like a cross-dresser man or whatever and it's like um i'm just uh, yeah i don't <laughs> i don't see it I don't I, and i think that comes i think that comes back to the ryan murphy of it all that he wants to have the prettiest possible veneer on everything right down to the cast members he wants everything to look perfect but at the same time he is telling the story of these trans people and he wants to depict their struggles so he does that with the cast at his disposal i mean i guess speaking of which we should probably get into the plot just a little bit so as you said it starts with the house of abundance they've been uh doing balls as a family for a while blanca is dissatisfied wants to break out on her own, Electra kicks her out for being ungrateful, and then Blanca is diagnosed with HIV, which gives her the impetus to then go and start her own house. I like Meanwhile, that scene, you know, where um, well, I'm not saying I like it because of what happens. I'm not saying I like that scene when Blanca uh, gets HIV/AIDS, but I like that scene when she's told about it. I just think it was done in like a 
more interesting way than what you usually see. Like her reaction to it was like underplayed and um, almost like she just expected it kind of. She wasn't, it wasn't like this really like depressing scene. Oh, uh, sorry, my like doorbell thing is just wrong. I'll be back in a sec. Hello. Hello. Sorry about that. It was yeah, just some we're... guy. It was just some guy that I've never met before who lives in my flat complex. And I was like, hello. And he was like, oh, sorry, I've just forgot my fob. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll let you in then. I let him in. And he was like, thanks, love. You know, we call that in screenwriting as a meet cute. I feel like we're on a good roll. You're just about to talk about the scene where Blanca is diagnosed with HIV. Oh yeah, I thought that was really funny. That scene. <laughs> no, I just I thought I thought it was um, I thought it was interestingly done. Like I thought it wasn't like too depressing. It was kind of like she already knew that she had it. I think it communicated that well. Um, I liked the sort of uh, very short but relationship with the doctor, and it ends with her saying like it ends with Blanca saying like thank you or something, and then she's like why. And then she's like, it must be really hard telling people that they're going to die every day. And I was like, do you know what? It must be, it must be hard doing that. It must be hard Yeah, and I think, I think it really sets up the character of Blanca well. Like, it really shows her as someone with a great deal of fortitude and a huge deal of agency and hope, I think. Like, I think because it shows that scene but doesn't in any way dwell on it, it kind of then catches the entire show in hope and i think that's probably my favorite thing about pose on a whole is just how hopeful it is i think it's my favorite thing and least favorite thing about it at the same time yeah I think, well I think, it, I think it's like like i love that it is but also it means that i can't watch it for too long before i start to kind of like feel a bit sick yeah, it's the Ryan Murphy thing again. It's the sincerity. It's like you can be hopeful without being so performatively earnest about everything. Like the next bit where Damon uh, gets kicked out of his small town home by his parents for being gay feels like an A-level drama production. Like I, it's like, so it, I like the dad. He's like, he's like, no son of man is going to have no... Like bum sex, <laughs> like chucks around. What he says is that that his friend Todd from down the bar saw Damon uh, leaving the ballet studio, and his friend Todd had like all this information. I mean, it's his friend Todd he has to watch. And Gossipy in any other queen. show, in any other show, I would say that was intentional subtext, a uh, uh, subtext about Todd. But I don't think this is a show that really deals in subtlety. For example, <laughs> did you notice that the the title of the porn mag that uh, Damon's mom found under his bed was 10 Hot Men. <laughs> or that was at least like the, the article flagged on the front of the magazine. I thought the title of it was um, Your Son's a Gay Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Your Son Has Gone Against the Religious Teachings You Brought Him Up With. Now He Must new Move to New York City and Sleeve Rough on a bench until a kindly <laughs> trans woman takes pity on him and invites her into her home 
purely because she can see he's a good dancer. This is another thing I noticed. I mean, Blanca has a very that, kind yeah. heart, but she's kind of taking advantage of of Damon and Angel. Um, in what way has she taken advantage of them? Well, she's setting up her own house to compete at balls. She sees this kid who is a fucking insane dancer and she thinks, oh, I'll have him. Yeah, true. Like, it is true that she basically doesn't ask him about his living situation or anything in that first bit. She's just like, she's like, oh, you can dance. <laughs> Get in my Well, van. it's fair enough that she, she knows the situation. She knows he's sleeping rough. Like, but I'm sure there were plenty of other kids who, who were, you know, doing a crap attempt at the robot in just as dire straits. But it really does feel feet. like she goes straight to the first person that she sees in the park. She's like, she enters the park and then she's like, well, she's just captivated by Ryan Jamal Swain's gorgeous brown eyes. I think she gives him like five cents as well. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> um, this, but the thing about this show is that I do feel hesitant to be too hard on it because I do think it's like a really good like I've 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 watched all of it so far and I, I really enjoyed it. Um but you have to remember that this program is like it's kind of like for the straights, you know, and, and considering the fact that it is like for the straights, it's pretty gay, um, considering that it is. Because like you yeah. said, like it doesn't like it 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 presents you with like a group of interesting, diverse um like trans people with their own different personalities um and it's like yeah they're trans and that's it and it's almost like it's it's kind of like basically it says like these are the women of this show um and they are trans it's like there aren't like like it, it doesn't operate on tokenism which i think like so many other shows do i think even transparent um operates on some level of tokenism because it's like you know your main your main person flipping jeff he um he is not a trans woman <laughs> obviously and when trans people real trans people do pop up in it they're actually not like they're not really like there's not much of them really so oh yeah trace like yeah. gets like a a little love interest bit that never goes anywhere and it's like they, they like if you have a show that's about trans people and your trans the actual trans people in it feel tokenistic i think you've kind of maybe fucked up a little bit so at least in this they don't and at least in this it does present ballroom culture in a very for for a pilot episode it kind of i mean it uses exposition like in a cringy way but it it's useful because it like it does explain to like normal straights like what ballroom culture is yeah and explains the origins of a lot of those things as well like a lot of the things that were wholesale stolen by white people later on like there's an episode later all about voguing and how it's become popular after madonna does the song that she obviously stole from the the ballroom scene so so there is, uh, you know, like you say, it's a very good sort of education tool for your average straight audience. I think as well, it's it's interesting to see that kind of like what I would consider like quite dated camp humor, which is authentic within the show because this is set in, you know, queer circles in 1987. Mm -hmm. But pray tell the MC at the at the balls is essentially like an insult comic. He's like Don Rickles. Like he says to Blanca at one point, oh, my mama was a saint. 
a Saint Bernard. <laughs> and yeah, then later I on, after that, that I thought that uh, was funny. But later on, uh, it, uh, Blanca is telling off Damon uh, while Praetel is trying to fit Damon for a, for a garment he's made him, and Praetel says. I don't come down to where you work and knock the dicks out your mouth, which, as you'll know, as a comedian, is the greatest heckler comeback of all time. Um, I I loved the, uh, and I'd completely forgotten about because I hadn't seen the pilot for a while, the 80s business guys who work at Trump Tower because satire is not So I wanted dead. to say that that scene was one of my least favorites because when you talk about, like, the exposition, right, the amount of exposition, like, clunky expositional dialogue that's in that scene is ridiculous. Oh, he's like, I loved it. He's I loved like, it so much. Because he, like, sniffs cocaine, and he's just like, he's like, thank God for Ronald Reagan. <laughs> it's like, shut yeah, up. It's literally, well, I mean, the scene for the, for the listener who hasn't seen it, it's this absolute Patrick Bateman-looking lad goes in for it's, an interview. Uh, what's at, his name? At, he's famous, that guy. I didn't know him from anywhere. Feel free to look him up while I'm ranting. Yeah, but go on. Have this, a rant. This, so this Patrick Bateman-looking lad goes in for an interview at actual Trump Tower. And who's interviewing him but Dawson from Dawson's Creek. Oh, that's, who what, no, 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 that's now, who I was talking about. That's what, that's what I meant. Yeah. But did you notice how Dawson from Dawson's Creek, Jason F- Van Der Beek, he somehow now looks even more like a when mom says you have Zach Morris at home <laughs> meme than he did in the 90s. And they have this hideous exchange filled with proto LinkedIn energy. And it's all about how Trump likes to hire working class guys because they speak the same language. <laughs> and the whole thing to me felt like a really good example of why setting Mad Men in the 60s and not the 80s is kind of a stroke of genius. Because can yeah. you imagine a whole show of that? How insufferable it would be. It felt to me like the whole, the eightiness, as you said, was just so heavy handed and expositional. Like the whole section felt like it was written by someone who tried to write Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross after having read the back of the DVD case <laughs> once 10 years ago. It's like, I hated but- it and I loved it. It's like what, like the. I imagine it was like a first pass of the script, and then like someone looked at it and was like, "Can we squeeze any more '80s buzzwords into this? Can we put Reaganomics in there and maybe Tab Cola, please? Maybe some reference yeah. to like it's just ridiculous. Maybe some reference to like the maybe his robot butler can mention <laughs> something about a return to the nuclear family. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we then got the Patrick Bateman-looking lad goes cruising by the piers because Grinder doesn't exist yet. No. And I got sat and he, His name is he, Stan. Stan is the character's name. I apologize. We stan and he, Stan. <laughs> we do not stan Stan. He's very sad Stan. stan. He's the saddest Stan since Eminem's Stan, brackets <laughs> 2001. Not sure if the year is right. I apologize if it is. Um... So I got sad because if this was set now, Angel would not be working the periods. She'd just be making an absolute killing on OnlyFans doing bespoke porn. I like, feel sorry for um, people that do work on peers. Um, because... Oh, of course we do. Yeah, that goes without saying. But I just mean the character of Angel generally having to make a living by sleeping with, you know, Patrick Bateman types like this. When nowadays she could be making literally millions on her own terms. And yeah, that's I also true. thought it was interesting how she she takes his word that he's not a cop so quickly. Like she says to him, like, oh, I've seen you, you know, crawling here uh, three times now. 
and she gets in the cop and uh, car and just goes, "You not a cop?" And he goes, "Nope." And they just they just drive off. And yeah. then she goes, "Let's have some fun, then." And she hops in the car. Yeah, and they go to a fancy hotel, and he makes her undress, which is a little upsetting. And he's obsessed with seeing her dick because, let's face it, all white collar men are obsessed with seeing trans girls' dicks. And well... let's talk about sex off experience here, okay? Chasers are a real thing. We both know this. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about here. I've never met one in my life. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I don't, I, don't worry. Dick. I've never met one. I just get hundreds of messages from them weekly. <laughs> you call them your little piss pigs, though, don't you? I call them my little piss pigs, and that's why I call my fans on here my piss pigs, because... Ultimately, I love my piss pigs and I like to keep them in a little pen where I can watch over them. The worst thing about Stan in that scene is that he says, he goes, uh, he says something like, do you like music? And he's like, it's a little hobby of mine. And he just puts the radio on. Like imagine like the 80s when just like listening to music is like a hobby and not just like a constant yeah. state of being. That's like the 80s business guy equivalent of giving your mixtape on SoundCloud. Have you heard of the radio? <laughs> and then they just like lay awkwardly on a bed um, and, yeah. and talk. I thought, and I thought it was interesting as she talks about saving up for gender confirmation surgery and like compare the energy of this scene to the uh, gender reveal from the crying game that we covered last week. Like, she's given so much more, not just so much more agency, but it's all so much more low-key, like his reaction to it. And she turns the tables on him, makes him get undressed in front of her and literally says, there must be a part of your body that you don't like. Like, she's inviting him to empathize with her. I thought that was actually really beautiful. Yeah, it actually is nice. I like the line as well, where she says something like, she goes... I'm saving up money to have my little friend removed or something. And then he's like, it's not so little. <laughs> yeah, which is something chasers are obsessed with. Like I, every guy. Funny. But every guy will like, they want you to have a bigger one than them. Look, I'm not getting into it. There's a lot of things I could say. And so that's another podcast. But they just talk. And she's so enchanted by this idea of just being treated not just with humanity, but she literally says she wants a home, she wants a family, that she just wants to be treated like any other woman. And that, again, reminded me of the crying game from last week, that Dill is just so desperate to be loved by a man, any man, that she will put up with such bullshit because of it. Do you know what it else reminded me, me really of the crying sad. game from last week? Is that like a few scenes later, you see him voraciously brushing his teeth. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Yeah, he goes home and he brushes his teeth with exactly the same vigor I imagine Stephen Ray probably did after he vomed several times in the crying game. Yeah. I mean, the thing about that is, is, is like... We should it, say he, he goes home to his wife and children. Stan is, uh, of course, uh, a married man who, with a quote-unquote respectable home who wants to pay to fuck around with a trans girl. Yeah, yeah, but he's living that corporate life, you know, that's, that's what they do. Yeah, he's busy snapping his suspenders and making sure the white of his collar contrasts hideously <laughs> with the blue of the main body of his shirt. So listen, P, do you know what mopping is? Mopping? Mopping. 
I'm not sure I do, Jen. What is mopping? Well, you have failed a very vital test. Uh, you, you actually have, because... Firstly, it's referenced in this episode. And secondly, it is a big part of uh, of the, the culture. Um, it's in Par- There's a whole thing about it in Paris is Burning. Basically, mopping is stealing. Um, is when people at the time would go out and steal the clothes for um, their their ball performances or just to live. But basically, it was just like a more like softer way of saying stealing, which is what they were doing. But it was more like in in sort of like in a celebration of 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 the art form i think so i was going to ask you because in it she says like when she's saying the rules for the house she's like and anything you mop is the houses that's what she says and um ah, i see they're mopping in the opening scene when they go to the museum and steal all the royal clothes somehow um <laughs> i was going to ask you p what is the most valuable thing that you have ever mopped? Audience's hearts. Like, I was trying to think of a funnier thing to say, but I don't think I've ever mopped anything. How, like, you, oh I my come God, from... have you never stolen anything from a shop before? Have you never stolen an no, item of clothing I come from... Makeup? I come Never from, even? No, I come from an embarrassingly sort of like, firstly, embarrassingly middle class background, but also embarrassingly sort of um, repressed background. Like, I don't think I'd be able to deal with the guilt I'd mm-hmm. impose on myself if I did try and steal anything. I've stolen makeup what, before. What was the best bit of makeup you stole? Like, are we talking like high end, like Inglot Mac? Or are we talking no, like. No, because I for... didn't have, no, I didn't have like a good knowledge of like what was good and what wasn't then. But I have, st- I stole like a Rimmel um, mascara before. It wasn't, ex- it was it an expensive good. one. Did it feel good when you saw how luscious and long it made your lashes look? Yeah. Also, once when I was a kid, I stole. Um, there was like a bag of water balloons um, in a newsagent's and I didn't steal all of them, but there was like a tiny hole in the bottom and I took out about seven. Yeah, well, you're oh, also, seizing arms from the also, arms trade. Also, there was a big, like, you, do you have, you have like um, warehouses over there, right, where like newsagents and things get their stocks from? Wholesalers. Yeah, we have one over here called Best Way. And I used to live right near a Best Way. So what we used to do is we used to climb over to the Best Way. And then we used to steal whatever was on the pallets outside of it. Um, and we once stole a crate of Hubba Bubba bubblegums that were out of date. And we also stole a huge pallet of um, the brand named Just Juice, which is like, it's a... It's juice. I guess nothing else because it's called just juice. And we threw bricks at it. You threw bricks at the juice? We had the juice. It was in a pallet. And then we got bricks and we threw the bricks at the juice. Oh, I would have hated you as a teenager. That kind of poorly motivated anarchy really got my goat as a teen. <laughs> It does out of date Hubba Bubba, is it still operational? To my mind, bubblegum is something that I could find it from like the 50s and it would still work. It, I think it is still operational because I watch YouTube videos sometimes of people eating sweets from like the past, like the 70s and 80s. <laughs> and and uh, 
I watched a man eat a Vietnam rations kit once. Yeah, I know that that's a whole phenomenon in YouTube unto itself. Yeah. I, I'm surprised that you've never stolen anything. You've never even stolen like a chocolate bar or like a... Not off the top of my head. I certainly don't have an anecdote that'll be in any way podcast worthy. Well, what about... Well, not necessarily from a shop. Have you ever stolen anything from a person or like... No, this is what I was trying to think. Like there was some serious Pokemon card theft in my primary school, but I was not party to it. I believe Robin Fax, shiny Dragonite got stolen and there was a big search for that. I don't th- know if the culprit was ever caught, but it was in Miss Rider's third class. If anyone knows where that got to, get in touch, translobbypod at gmail.com. Yeah, <laughs> please let us know. But anyway, after Angel spends the night with uh, Stan, Blanca mm-hmm. recruits her to be a member of her new house, the House of Evangelista. Again, because Angel is fucking beautiful and it's Blanca seeing someone who, yeah, is vulnerable and she wants to help, but on the other hand knows can win her trophies. I think it's cool that the, the program uses references to real people um, in like the naming of things. So yeah, like, there's another house called the House of Pendarvis who are mentioned in the background through, right throughout the series. And I think they are a real dynasty uh, in ballroom culture. That's quite a nice little nod. They enter their first ball as the House of Evangelista and they don't win. Outside, they're a bit salty about it, but Prey sort of comes into his own and shows some character for the first time and gives them a quite a heavy-handed, sincere telling off about how, like, hey... Uh, you know, you gotta keep trying and all this sort of business. And then we meet Poppy, my favorite character in the show, who we only see very briefly here, who is a young man who works at a bodega. And again, says because of his job, he can get them free food sometimes. And it's that that allows Blanca, the sneak, the manipulator, to allow him into the house of Evangelista. Yes. Yeah, that is true. Um, I like Pappy as well. I think he's a really interesting character. I know it's not really like, there's not much of him in this episode. In fact, he just kind of like pops up like right at the end and then run and then literally runs off. Um, yeah. But he is an interesting character because like he has a really ambiguous sexuality and he's kind of quite a modern guy for the time. And he's not really, his motivations are like different. From everybody else, I just think he's. I just think he's cool. Just like him. I yeah, mean, I, I really like, like him. Like you said, I think the ambiguity around his sexuality is great, and the fact that I mean, spoiler alert, if people haven't seen the further series, and to be honest, we very well may do more episodes on Pose in future. We won't. But okay, What's spoiler alert on that as well. We then that? double <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert. But he and Angel end up going out together, and I love how he just sees Angel as the beautiful woman that he is, and I love how proud of her and their relationship that he is. It makes said, me very happy. You said that he sees Angel as the beautiful woman that he is. You've kind of undermined your own point. If I did use the wrong pronoun, it's because I was confused in referring to Poppy. There's no way I am misgendering Angel. Every listener, please, hashtag P is cancelled for this look if we're getting into hashtags and we're going to talk about twitter the one thing i would really like to say in relation to this show is maybe a month and a half two months ago 
I did a superb tweet that I don't think got enough traction. And if you've listened this far in the episode and you've liked it, maybe you could go onto my Twitter feed at P Dinny, P like the vegetable, D I double N Y, and find this is my old tweet. Now. This is hustling, okay? It's and find my old tweet that says, and I'm paraphrasing myself here. I really relate to that show pose. Not so much as a trans woman, more as a heavy-handed rider. Do you want me to edit the cricket noises in on, <laughs> on the actual recording? Because I will. You know when Angel is in that room? I think it's a hotel room um, with Stan. She's wearing, like, a grass skirt. I didn't notice it. I just think she always looks so perfect that I accept fully what she's wearing. My favorite outfit in this episode was when Praytel is fitting them for their uh, custom stuff for the final ball. She has this kind of like almost baseball uniform inspired like red and white pinstripe number with fish. She looks incredible. And a tube sock. Oh, she just looks beautiful. I liked the, I'll tell you one bit that I really did like was when they were in that museum and they're all looking at a different piece of art that like reflects them in some way. Like Blanca is looking at. Yeah, that was nice actually. Blanca's looking at like this buff guy with like no head and she's like, hmm, I want to have sex with that statue. And then, uh, (laughs) and then um, Angel is the dialogue I watch for it. Yeah, and then Angel is looking at, at like, a Egyptian head with, like, no nose, and she's like, that's beautiful, that's what I look like. And um, I can't remember what anyone else was looking at. Yeah, no, but I did like that, and that, to me, had a certain, like, deafness to it that you don't generally get in a Ryan Murphy show. Because it was very I quick, it was just that. quick, but it was, like, it was good. It told you about the characters right off the bat, yeah. It told you something about the characters without telling you something about the characters because because this is really heavy on verbal exposition it's like people saying stuff to tell like for example when you were talking about the the reason why ballroom culture exists and if you watch the whole of paris is burning you get a kind of an idea of the fact that it's about trying to sort of like blend in and pass in everyday public and get jobs and things like that if you watch this, you get one sentence where someone literally says that as if they have the hindsight of the last 30 years. Um, yeah, yeah. I, will, I will use a sentence that I use almost every day in my day job, which is perhaps the writer should keep in mind, show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. And you, I suppose you could make an argument that that's kind of one of the differences between mainstream television and art cinema. And it's also interesting that as a trans woman, you do have to negotiate show, don't tell a lot because you want to be perceived as the gender you are, you are, but sometimes you have to explain to people, oh, I'm a trans woman. Even the best meaning people need to be explained, particularly early in your transition, maybe. That is true. That's a very deft point um, relating to, to what I just said. I'm impressed. Well, after all your nagging, would it be nice to end the episode on you just giving me a little compliment like that i like your um hairband as well p that's a compliment 
I was talking about the Daft Point, but I mean Daft Point hairband. I mean, I think you fancy me, <laughs> Jan. Oh my god. I'm wearing like a hairband as well, but you can't really see it because I've got like uh, headphones on. Also because it's an audio podcast. Not for the piss pigs. <laughs> Those piss pigs gotta pay and pay they will. So you're like wrapping up the podcast now. You're like, oh, we're done. Well, it feels like it's reached a natural conclusion to me. We've discussed the entire plot of the episode. We've expressed our opinions on the show more broadly. I think this is a nice, tight little number we've got here. There's so much stuff in the show that we've missed, though. Okay, hit me with some of it. The dancing. There's some amazing dancing in the show. Like something about Pose that deserves full credit is that you do get the Paris is burning experience, not the full experience. Paris, don't get me wrong. If you haven't seen Paris is burning, you should definitely see Paris is burning. We'll never talk about it on this podcast because it doesn't fit the remit. Like it's a documentary about actual like trans people and stuff. It's not about representation as such. Um, it feels wrong for me to like, to talk about it as if they're like characters or whatever, because they were real people. But um, Pose does a really amazing job of capturing the feeling of Paris is Burning. And actually what it does in later on is it takes a lot of characters and scenarios from Paris is Burning and it extends them. In fact, like the whole Angel story with Angel and this guy Sam, like although we don't yet know what Angel's fate is, um, well, I don't. I haven't seen series four, so no spoilers. There's, there's no spoilers. What I can tell you is that she's based on um, an actual real person, somewhat. Well, oh, that story I didn't know is, that. Well, the story is because in Paris is Burning, there is a young trans woman who is really interesting and really like beautiful and lights up every scene. And then at the end of and she's like seeing like this guy um she's like basically like an escort kind of thing and then she works the pier and everything and then at the end like they tell you that she's like dies she's got she gets killed she gets murdered um so anyway not to bring the tone down but what i'm saying is i like the way that the program takes these real people's lives and kind of um dramatizes them in a more maybe a more fun way but like it definitely gets across the vibe of that film but you should definitely if you haven't seen paris is burning like you should watch it because it is like objectively better than pose i think i will watch it but i do like pose for all that i've slagged it off here i watched it with my mother who is straight and cis and i won't give away her age because <laughs> she and her friends have been listening to the podcast and i don't want to embarrass You're Barbara. Lying. your mum does not has not been listening to the podcast Oh, my mum is a Gen I stan now. You shut your mouth, is she? She isn't. Hello, Barbara. She is. Barbara Danine has been listening to the podcast, as I believe have a few of her friends. So shout out to uh, Mary Diwali, shout out to Pamela Hobbs, shout out to Vivian McGinty. I believe those, those are the ones who are mentioned by name. If I'm leaving anyone else out, I'll shout them out next week. Or they can email uh, translobbypod at gmail.com. Speaking of, I think... The assigned email at birth feature needs more love. I think there is so much room for interesting discussions around trans issues here, and none of you little piss pigs are paying out. So I... if you want to do mama a favor, maybe get typing and 
send me some of that good stuff. Thank you to everybody who listened last week. We've had quite a lot yeah, of listeners. Yeah, thank you so much. More than I yeah, thought we Yeah, we have a lovely have, little audience. Because totally. God knows no one's going to listen for P, right? No one's tuning in for I know, I'm P. a nobody. And, and, and me, like, I'm barely a somebody. Oh, Becky behind the scenes over here. <laughs> So, so I totally you. talked over you. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm but used to it. I agree. I, I realize yeah, that's the I... dynamic. Um, could I just say? Could I, I would just like to also just say again, hi Barbara. <laughs> I'm so excited by that. Will, will, do you think she will adopt me? I think if you ask very nicely. Do you know what? Traditionally, in my life, um, mums like me. They just do. Well, I would say traditionally most people like you but i think she'll be up for adopting you because in the tradition of pose you know what jen you're my chosen family am i (laughs) oh we got a lovely review on itunes from michael long stay classy michael long got a lovely message on twitter from vodka squirrel who i believe prefers to stay anonymous but we absolutely stand vodka squirrel Someone we're both very fond of. Do your thing. So many really lovely supportive comments. And to be honest, to be very earnest in the vein of a Ryan Murphy show, sometimes it's not easy to put yourself out there as a trans woman. So to have vocal support is a really lovely thing. I mean, it is for me. I mean, she doesn't speak for me. (laughs) Anyway, I'm on Twitter at Dinny, P the vegetable, D I double N Y. We are both on Twitter at Trans Lobby Pod, Insta as well. More love to our Insta, please. For some reason, it's not taking off to quite the same extent there, but we will continue to put out the content. You little piss pigs just love to eat up. And am I, am I allowed to, to say my Twitter? Because you just skipped me and just like. Or was I creating space for you to inhabit? I don't think you've ever done that, Pete. Um, my Twitter is at Jen Ives Comedian. And I don't give a shit if you follow it or not. In fact, don't. And do you have any upcoming work in progress live shows you'd like to plug? Yes, P. I do have some work in progress live shows of my uh, critically anticipated um, hour, debut hour, um, work in progress called peak trans and the first one is on the 10th of july at 6 30 at hoxton cabin in london and the second one is at the camden fringe on tuesday the 10th of august at 7 p.m at two north down in king's cross and uh and how much good- are tickets for that i imagine they must run into the hundreds of pounds I don't know how much tickets are. I think they're very affordable. I think I think for the Hoxton Cabin one, I think you look oh, I do know I actually do know how much tickets are. I think Hoxton Cabin, they're two pounds each because it's like a real work in progress. I'm gonna be trying stuff out, it's gonna be a bit ropey, but it's gonna be fun. Still a bargain. Yeah. And then the other one I think is five pounds because it should be better by then, so it should be like five pounds. Incredible. As much as she will only say it herself when she's had a few drinks. Jen is a genuinely exceptional stand-up comedian. If you're in London, you should totally take the opportunity to check her out. Thank you, P. That's very nice. And although P will say this about herself on Twitter, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, P is also a very, 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 very talented theatre deviser. Um, I think that's what you call it, right? She devises theatre. She does lots of good work with uh, young people and... 
she's just generally like fucking smoke show badass bitch community uh, leader is the word that i would use personally but i'm comfortable with all the other yeah titles you yeah community leader tra- fashion trendsetter um yeah hair accurate. model um she's got one of those little gaps in her teeth that supermodels have she's, i do she's the daughter the of, she's mick jagger's do- un- unknown daughter and I'll tell you, my biggest talent is that I have no idea when to really wrap up a podcast episode. Well, I have no idea when to wrap up anything, especially Christmas presents. Am I right? Um, okay. <laughs> you hang up first, Jan. <laughs> no, you hang up first, B. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. On the cover of a magazine, Jen Ives, Paris Lees, Pedanine's whole house has fleas, Jen has style, Jen has grace, Pedanine carries a briefcase, don't just stand there, don't act gobby, listen up, this is Trans Lobby.